So we are in, as I said, a series on prayer, and so we might as well begin with prayer. How's that sound? Anyone? Bueller? Yes. We're in? It's good? Okay. Yeah. Well, Jesus, um, Father, Holy Spirit, will you hear our request? And in the words of the disciples of Jesus, we, we echo those words. We say, Lord, teach us to pray. Holy Spirit, will you empower what is being said this morning so that, so that the things that you want to stick with us will stick with us? Um, anything else would just simply fall away. Lord, I know that in, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, Holy Spirit, I know if you don't show up and empower what is said, then this morning my teaching is um, meaningless. But Holy Spirit, if you are present um, and at work, then I know great things can happen. Regardless of how I preach or don't preach or I do well or don't do well, I put this in your hands and I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Amen? Amen. All right, uh, how many of you watched uh, triple header football playoffs yesterday? Anyone? They must be watching this service because a bunch of them from last service watched all three games yesterday. And there's three games, playoff games, again, today. So they're home watching the first game. Um, so, uh, so hopefully, even though you maybe aren't as big a football fanatic as some of us, um, do you know who Mike Ditka is? Anybody remember? Right? He was the Chicago Bears coach back in the day. Here's a picture of him on the screen. Uh, nowadays, he does an NFL commentator. He's in his 80s, and they ask him opinions on you know, NFL shows. But back in the 1980s, he coached the Bears. Anybody remember how we say the Bears in the Bears? See, okay, so you've heard this, right? The Bears during their glory years, and they won a Super Bowl. Now, back in that time, they had a chaplain um, while Ditka was coach, and his name was John Casis, and he tells this story where, where Ditka, the coach, was about to deliver this locker room pep talk one day, and Ditka looks over, um, and Ditka was a Roman Catholic and, and very devout, and he looks over at a guy named William the Refrigerator Perry, the fridge. Anybody remember the fridge back in the day? Okay, now, if you haven't heard of him, he weighed 338 pounds, that's why they called him the fridge, and in the NFL today, I guess it's way more common to have 300-pound plusers, but back then, apparently they didn't make him as big in, what would that be, 20, 35 years ago? Wow, I'm getting old. Holy smokes. I was a teenager. So, but they called him the fridge. So, Coach Ditka gestures over to the fridge and says, hey, when I get finished, he says, I want you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And then Coach began his pep talk. Well, meanwhile, Jim McMahon, here's him, if you don't remember. Yeah, Jim McMahon was the quarterback. He was kind of this brash, outspoken dude. And he punches the chaplain. He punches him and says, hey, hey, look at the fridge. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Sure enough, the fridge sat over there with a look of panic on his face. His head was in his hands, and he was sweating profusely. But the chaplain says to, the court, to McMahon, the quarterback, he goes, no, 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 he's, he's just nervous. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. So a few minutes of standing there while the coach was talking and seeing the fridge continue to sweat like, you know, gallons, buckets of sweat, McMahon nudges the chaplain again and says, I'll bet you 50 bucks that the fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Now, this honestly, this was a true story according to the chaplain. And when he tells the story nowadays, he says, he imagines this, the absurdity of it all, right? He says, 
here we were sitting in chapel betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer. Like, what? It's a true story. So then Coach Ditka finishes the pep talk. He asks all the men to remove their caps. Then he nods to the fridge and bows his head. It was quiet for a few moments when the fridge finally spoke in a shaky voice. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now the chaplain felt a tap on his shoulder. It was Jim McMahon. Here's the 50 bucks, he whispered. I had no idea that the fridge knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) True story. True story. So let's now stand together. Will you all stand with me and let's pray the actual Lord's Prayer together. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We're going to use the traditional version with the covenants and some other twists. So if you get to trespasses, it's sin. So just so you're not like, oops, I don't want you feeling tricked. But ready? Let's read this with heart like we mean it. Let's read it out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, as you're seated, turn to the person near you and say, hey, great job, you prayed great. Such encouragers, such encouragers. Thank you, thank you. Now, as as I said earlier, I do, I sense this here. God is calling us deeper into prayer, to learning how to pray. Some of us are rookies when it comes to prayer. Hey, you're in the right place. Some of you are veterans and saints, and you have read and maybe even written a book on prayer. I don't know. But you are expert prayers, and I do hope that as the series goes along, there will be something for all of us to be reminded of or to learn new And um, my hope is that our prayer would be the same prayer that the disciples asked Jesus. When they made the request of him in Luke 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I want that to be our heart as well. Lord, teach us to pray. And in response to his, uh, their request, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus taught them what we now call the Lord's prayer, which for us led to this series, Pray Like Jesus. And it's based on the Lord's Prayer. So what we're going to do over the next couple months is line by line and sometimes phrase by phrase, we are going to ask Jesus to teach us how to pray. And so on Sunday mornings for the next couple months here at Hope, class is in session. Um, we're going we're gonna to join Jesus in the school of prayer, and with Jesus as our teacher, I'm inviting all of us to think of Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night, if you want to go deeper, uh, as the classroom of prayer, and, um, and if you and I, if we will enroll in this school of prayer with Jesus as our teacher... Uh, and with scripture as our teacher, I can guarantee you that in the next couple of months, your prayer life will change, it will grow, it will expand. In fact, even as the last couple of weeks, I've been specifically praying through the Lord's Prayer as we've been starting this series, I've noticed things that I go, wow, I haven't really prayed about that for a while or this. And it's expanding and growing new things in me as well, and I pray and know that it will do that for us if we enter in, not just on Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, but we make it a daily part 
of our journey to say, you know what, I can do that. For the next couple months, I want to pray daily or as regularly as you can uh, and let the Lord's Prayer be our guide. So um, we started out last week and this week, we're kind of looking at the basics. And the basics um, are the questions of the who, the where, and the what of prayer. And the reason we're looking at the who, the where, and the what is it gets addressed in the beginning of this prayer. And also, the who, the where, and the what of prayer often is what trips us up when we get confused about what to pray. And so last week, we looked at the who, the who of prayer. And Jesus taught us to pray. The who is our Father, our Father. Now, we mentioned we pray to Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father. It's none of, like, there's no, like, better or right one. This is how we pray. God just wants us to come to him. But it matters that we think of God as our Father. Because when we have that relational connection, it changes everything. Like, when I come to pray, and I just think of God as kind of this mystical, far-off thing, instead of as this loving Father... I will pray differently than I do if I come to him like Jesus taught us to, our Father who loves us dearly. Again, some people get kind of hung up on the Father language because there was an earthly Father maybe that didn't reflect God very well. But friends, Jesus even wants to heal you of that by giving you a perfect Father to wipe those old imperfect Father images off the face of God. And so he teaches us to pray our Father, our Father, that's the who. The who is our Father. And then the next line is about the where. Our Father, where? In heaven. Okay, let me ask a question. Okay, then how far away is heaven? Right? Um, how many miles from here is heaven? Uh, Bruce and Stacy Heimkes were in the first service sitting right over here. And Bruce said to me afterwards, Stacy's, um, Stacy says being with him is like heaven. So when they're sitting by each other in church, then heaven's only like, you know, a foot or two away, right? So I thought that was funny. Bruce, they didn't like your joke if you listen to the recording later. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but how many, how far away is heaven, right? Is, is, is it from here to the moon? Is that how far away heaven is? Or is it farther than, say, I don't know, Los Angeles? Um. See, we have this idea when we think of heaven um, we think of it being someplace way out there in the universe. And the sad result of that kind of thinking is that when we believe heaven is way out there, then God becomes remote, he becomes distant, he becomes hard to access. Therefore, sometimes we pray and we just feel like we're all alone much of the time. And let me tell you, it's very hard to even want to enter into prayer when we think that God is way out there and we are alone down here and we're straining and striving to just hope that maybe we can sort of somehow connect with him. So, what is this Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, all about? And I just want to take a moment to talk about the grammar in this part of the prayer where it says, Our Father in heaven. So, the Greek word for heaven, our Father in heaven, the Greek word is uranois, uranois. Anybody want to guess what planet we get from that word? Uranois. You guys are usually smarter than the first service. Thank you, there you go. There is Uranus or Uranus, depending on the part of the country or uh, when we learned it, right? So, that's the, that's the word, that's where we get that word from, it means in the heavens, um, but here in the Lord's Prayer, it's actually in the plural form, right? So it doesn't mean our Father in heaven. It actually means in the heavens. Literally, the prayer goes, our Father, the one in the heavens. 
Okay, so in the heavens, what, what is the heavens? Well, in the New Testament, the heavens refers to a number of different things. One thing the heavens refer to are the atmosphere. So, you know, around the earth, out there farther, it's the atmosphere, that's the heavens. Um, it also refers to the sky that we look at in other parts of the New Testament. It's the sky, that's the heavens. Even, it gets better, okay? The heavens is also used to describe the air right around us, right? The air that you breathe, they would call that also the heavens, what's right around us. That's how close the heavens are. This is good news (laughs) Um, because it doesn't mean that God is far off somewhere. It means he is right here. You know, sometimes we think, or we use the phrase, something appeared right out of thin air, like it's right at hand. That's where God is. He's Right here, that's the heavens. That's the idea behind the heavens in the Greek and in this prayer. And the meaning of heavens, then, uh, when Jesus teaches in the prayer, when you say, our Father who is in the heavens, you're not saying, our Father from a long time ago in a galaxy far, (laughs) far away. That is not what we're praying. We are praying this. You're saying, our Father who is everywhere... Our, pres- our Father who is present throughout the entire universe and our Father who's all around me. Our Father who is here, right here, right now. Our Father who is closer than the air that I breathe. That's the heavens. And this is good news, friends, because, because God is so close I am never alone. You are never alone. And because God is so close, any time that we come to pray, we want to remember that we are speaking to the Father who is right here with us always. God is not somewhere far off. He is with us right here. When we come to pray, we want to remember that and it will impact how we pray. He is with us always. I heard a story um, about a woman who was uh, afraid to fly an airplane, and so she asked a pastor about it, and he reminded her. He said, you know, Jesus is with you everywhere. He is with you right here on the ground. Do you believe that? She's like, yes. Well, he's also, believes, or he's also Jesus is with you in the air as well. And he quoted the scripture in Matthew 28 where he said, Jesus says, um, I am with you always, Right? Well, her reply to that was, actually, I learned it in the New King, or I learned it in the King James Version where Jesus says it this way, lo, I am with you always. She says, low, right? Not high, not up, like low. Let me try these guys over. Do you guys get that? Is that, I don't need to repeat. Okay, good. You guys got it, so, right. See, this again, it's, it's wonderful that we have modern translations that clarify some of these things because low is L-O, not L-O-W. Low, I am with you always. No, Jesus is saying, hey. Like, we'd say, hey, right? It's not even in the message, but if I ever translated the Bible, which nobody would want to read because that would be really weird. Um, hey, I'm with you always, okay? Behold is another word, so. Um, so the where of prayer, right? God is everywhere, Yes, he is in the heavens, all through outer space, but he's also right here. So the where, where is he? He is right here, right now. He is closer, as Dallas Willard says, he is closer than our very breath. Just breathe in and out, and there 
He's that close, right here, right now. Now, I want to kind of have a little side note here, because the truth is God is everywhere. There's a theological word, omnipresent. We'll put it up on the screen. Omnipresent means that God is everywhere at the same time. And some people will say, because God is omnipresent, then when you pray, it doesn't make any sense to pray, God, would you come and be with us, because he's already here. Some people would teach that. Some people would say that. Some people would say that the way we sometimes pray in worship or here, when we come together and invite the Holy Spirit to come, or we ask God to make his presence known, they would say, that's, that's a wrong way to pray. But I'm going to disagree with that because I think it's a good thing to invite God's presence to show up all the time. It's it's a good thing to invite God to be with us as we go throughout our day. It's a good thing to say, God, I got this thing I'm facing. Will you be with me in that? It's a good thing to do that. Um, um, It's a good thing when we worship and sing and say, hey, God, will you just come and be with us? Um, When we pray, Holy Spirit, come, it's a good thing. Because, yes, God is everywhere, but have you ever experienced a time where you could sense or feel God's presence in a special way? And if you have, you already know there's a difference between his omnipresence, where he is everywhere, and experiencing his presence, And some theologians call this experiencing his presence, the manifest presence of God. And I'm going to take a shot at explaining what the manifest presence of God is. In fact, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, I heard Dave Johnson explain it in a way that I'll steal from him. Um, Let's say that there was a billionaire that showed up, you know, in the room here on a Sunday morning. Um, Maybe it was somebody famous, maybe it was Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or someone, um, a billionaire in the room. Sure, they're present, right? They are present. They would be here if they were. There they are. But if they were to drop, you know, a million dollars into the offering box, right? That's right. There's a noticeable impact that gets made. It's a little different, right? That poof impact, um, that's like the manifest presence. Like they're here, But then their presence is really experienced if something they have to give makes an impact and we know about it. So in the same way, yes, God is already here. He's always present. He is closer than the air that we breathe. So when we invite him as a people or as individuals to come and be with us, we are inviting the spirit of God to manifest his presence in a way that we can even sense or feel. I mean, think about this. What happens when God's presence is made manifest? A whole lot of things can happen, right? Things like healing or freedom or miracles or breakthrough can happen. Anything can happen when the presence of God is made manifest. But the problem is sometimes we have felt that, sensed that, seen that, or see someone else experience that, and we come to God in prayer And we feel like he's far away, and we think, well, I don't feel it anymore. Like, I haven't felt God's presence in a long time, and I come to pray, and I just don't feel him anymore. That's where it's so good to remember that whether we feel him or he manifests his presence or not, the truth is he is always here with us. When you pray, even if it feels like God is far away, the truth is... He is closer than the air we breathe. He is here right now. So when we pray, 
we focus on the who, this, this Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what a good God you are. And then we think about the, the where, that God, you are everywhere, but you are right here with me right now. See, our, friend, our, our Father, that phrase, our Father in heaven, it means that he is closer than the air that you breathe. That's what that part means. So, quick recap. Got the three things, right? The who, the where, and the what of prayer. Again, last week we talked about the who, the Father who's good and loving. That's the who. The where, where is he? He is everywhere, and he is right here, right now. He is closer than the air that we breathe. So the who, the where, and now let's get to the what. What do we pray for? In fact, the rest of the prayer is, much of it is about the what of prayer. So we're going to start with the first thing in a second. But I want to say something before I get into the, the what of prayer, especially because it might be a while before we get to some of this other stuff. I want to be really clear. When it comes to the what of prayer, friends, there is no concern, no matter how small you think it is, that God does not care about. There is no request that you have, no matter how silly or trivial it may seem to you, there's no request that God doesn't want to hear. He wants to hear everything on your hearts. He wants you to pray about everything, to come to him about everything. He is concerned about everything. Not sure about my football team winning, but that's a whole different part of the sermon. But, right, he is concerned, though, about everything that matters to your hearts. And we're going to look more at that later in the series, especially when we get to this request for give us um, our daily bread. Um, but when we get to the, you know, the, the what of prayer, the first request that Jesus includes as he teaches us to pray is this hallowed be your name. God, hallowed be your name. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Hallowed be your name, okay? So your name, and a name in the Bible, it's never just a label for somebody. It's, a name is always a reflection of the person that it addresses. Uh, it's a reflection of their character and their identity. So it says, hallowed be your name. Hallow. Now, we don't use this word much in our day, but, but what it means, hallow means to attach appropriate value to something. Give it the honor that it is due. Recognize its worth. Recognize its worth. Attach the right value to it. I remember a long time ago reading this story. Could just be an old preacher story. I don't know if it's true or not. But, but um, there's a guy, and he comes into an antique store that's filled mostly with junk. And this guy was an expert at all things antique. And so he noticed when he was in the store, there was a cat drinking milk out of a saucer. But the saucer, he recognized, was actually a, is it a vase or a vase from the Ming Dynasty? What, do we, what should we go with? Yes, he says. Vase. We're going with Vase. All right, so there's a vase from the Ming Dynasty in China that was worth a fortune, and it was full of milk with a cat drinking out of it. And he thinks, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I gotta, I gotta get this because obviously the owner has no idea what he has here. So he goes over to the store owner and says, hey, that's uh, quite a remarkable cat you have there. Whew. I really like him. You know, I, I'll give you a hundred bucks for the cat. And the owner says, oh, no, no, the cat's not really worth anything. And, you know, really, it's sentimental. We're very attached to the cat. So the guy says, oh, listen, okay, fine. I'll give you $200 for the cat. The owner goes, all right, and took the $200. 
Then the customer says, hmm, I'll need something to feed him out of, so I'll give you another 10 bucks to, to, for the saucer. And the owner says, oh, I could never do that. That's actually a vase from the Ming Dynasty in China that's worth a fortune. But it's the strangest thing. Ever since I started putting milk in it, I've sold 17 cats. Yeah, attaching value, right? Now, financially, all of us are used to attaching value to things. Um, sometimes we might, if we're an expert, see something, ooh, that's really worth a lot, that other people don't realize something's worth a lot. People don't recognize that it's actually worth anything, which in some ways is particularly true of God. Some people don't recognize the value, the worth of God. And when Jesus taught this prayer for us to hallow God's name, to attach appropriate value to God's name, part of it must have been because he saw that wasn't being done in his day by the people in the world around him. His name was not being hallowed, so let's pray, God, hallowed be your name. Make your name great, God. It was sad back then, and I think it still happens, and it's sad today, that people just don't see the value of God and his name. See, the name of God, his, his person, his character, his intent, his heart towards us, it's not valued for anywhere near that it's worth. And on one side of it, we live in this world where God's name gets blasphemed and profaned, spoken as a curse word or casually at best, and it happens millions of times a day all around the globe, and the truth is, sometimes the people that profane, if we will, the name of God and don't hallow his name, oftentimes um, it's because they've seen Christians behave in ways, um, especially when Christians attach God's name to our non-Christian actions, and they go, what do I want to do with that? Um, See, friends, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we, you and me, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we, we plead, come back to God. He wants us to plead and to show the world that he loves them, who he is. And so Jesus teaches here in the Lord's Prayer, make your first request, hallowed be your name, God. In other words, may the whole world come to value, treasure, and honor your name, God. May people see the greatness of your name and come to know and follow you. See, one of the great, baffling to me, confusing mysteries of, of God is how he has allowed the greatness, the hallowedness of his name on earth here to be tied to the character and conduct of his people, which is you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus. His plan was that we would be a reflection of the character of God in the eyes of a watching world. Like, that's God's plan <laughs> to make his name great again, um, to make his name known. And the world is watching. The world is watching. 
I mean, if I pray, hallowed be your name, and I'm not just running through words to try to hurry up through a prayer, if I really want to take it to heart and pray it and not just recite words, I say in my heart, hallowed be your name. Okay, God, I hereby give up. Maybe it's sin. I give it up the best I can. I'm ready to give up sin the best I can with your help because hallowed be your name, God. Um, to pray, hallowed be thy name, is for me and you to say, I will live each moment of my day in such a way, God, that you'll be able to sign your name to my day. And I'll tell you the truth here. And I'm a massive grace guy, right? So there's no, like, shame and none of that, okay? And when I hit this part of Jesus' prayer, um, very often I have to pray a prayer of confession. A confession like, the truth is, God... All too often, other names dominate my day. All too often, other names are what I hallow, what I hold higher than your name. Maybe it's an important person in my life or a spouse or a boss or for you single folks, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Um, those are the names that get held up. Some of us would have to say, too often I hold up uh, other gods, the name of other gods named money or health or achievement or status. That's actually what I hold higher than everything. That's what I hallow. And we come to God in the prayer and we get to this place and we may need to confess things like, God, the story I'm paying attention to and hallowing, the thing that has grabbed my attention is politics. I give my energy and my attention to the name of politics or politicians. Too often, God, I hallow and put my trust in those names, in those kingdoms. And friends... Remember, we get to be ambassadors for Christ. What an honor. And when I pray, hallowed be your name, Father, I remember that I go, okay, God, I come to you and I repent. I want to make your name great. And if I've been spending my energy trying to make other names and causes great, then, then God, forgive me because I want to live in such a way that helps others see that your name is above every other name. I want to be your ambassador. Now, I'm just going to mention something here. We've had an uh, interesting week. And I'm going to mention something about this past week at the risk of being a little misunderstood. So can I take that risk? Am I, okay, okay, even if we don't agree, can we still love each other? Um, and the temptation is I can say this in about three minutes and then get to the end of the message. Um, or, or I can take 20 to 30 minutes and really expound it here and try to make sure you hear my over-explanation. So I'm going to go with the shorter version. Deal? Okay? All right. Um, like I said a little bit ago, one of the great mysteries of God is how he has allowed the greatness of his name here on earth to be tied to the character and conduct of his people. That's you and me. Like that his plan was that we would be a reflection of the character of God to a watching world's eyes. Like we get to be his ambassadors. That was God's plan and is God's plan to make his name great. Again. <laughs> now, quick quiz from the Ten Commandments. Anybody know off the top of your head the third commandment has something to do with a name? Boom, there you go. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Taking the name of God in vain is actually the opposite of hallowing the name of God, right? 
When I grew up, and for many years, even into probably my early ministry, um, I thought taking the name of God in vain was when you use God's name as a cuss word, and that's all it was. And it is, right? And it is wrong, right? That's taking God's name in vain. We don't do that. Um, But the Hebrews understood it even bigger than that, and God's intention is that we would understand it even broadly than that. It's not just using God's name as a curse word. Again, it is that, but it's more than that. See, taking God's name in vain also points to, to not profaning God's name by taking his name and slapping it on our cause. All through history, by the way, this is not new, all through history, this happens, especially in the area of politics and government. We are nothing new that it happens today. Um, Political causes try to attach God's name to their side to try to raise their stock or their influence or get people on that particular religious bandwagon to follow them. Um, Sadly, especially the last few months, I've seen people who should know better, pastors, dearly loved Christians who I respect, suddenly some switch, they miss something. I don't know what happens, but suddenly there's this assumption that we slap God's name on a particular political candidate. Um, Friends, the problem is, even though you get better political favor and and whatever it is you think you're going to get, A, we've seen it backfire pretty good recently, haven't we? Um, B, um, doing that is focusing on the wrong kingdom. It's the wrong kingdom. Sorry. It's the wrong kingdom. It's the wrong kingdom. It is not thy kingdom come. It is a different kingdom. And when we do that and slap God's name on it, we are taking God's name in vain. And if you were troubled by what you saw this week at the Capitol, or you're confused about how it seems how some, some, not all, some very vocal Christians are slapping God's name on this cause, you are right to be troubled. Because the so-called Jesus being tied to the flag is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's just not. You don't have to read that far. It isn't the same Jesus. The things Jesus teaches are very counter to what the political kingdoms of this world, and I mean both sides, Both sides. It is a very different kingdom, friends, a very different kingdom. And so so if you're confused, you have a right to be troubled, and you are right to be troubled. And friends, we can't slap the name of God on a political cause. Like we who call ourselves Christians cannot give ourselves permission to slander, gossip, pass forward rumors, excuse or incite violence, and to do it in the name of Jesus. Like we don't get to excuse it because we think, well, this is the right thing to do. And I'm so grieved to see that happening. I'm so grieved to see I've gotten mostly off social media because people that I want to love and respect pass along the craziest conspiracy theories and it blows my mind and I go, this is gossip and slander. We're not supposed to have anything to do with it. And we excuse it because it advances our agenda. This is, again, both sides. It is depressing and sad. And friends, we can't give ourselves permission to do that. A, it's wrong, 
And B, maybe more importantly, it reflects poorly on the name of God because the rest of the world looks at us and they see that we are not hallowing or making God's name great. And that drives people away from considering entering into a relationship with Jesus. That's heavy stuff, friends. That is heavy stuff. See, the hallowed name of God is not on the side of the Republicans or the Democrats. His kingdom is far bigger than all of them and is not tied exclusively to either of them. So, if your candidate that you voted for, one, hey, be glad about that. Don't rub it in. Don't gloat. Take a step back. Take a deep breath. Breathe that COVID-free air. Be kind. Be a good sport. It's like we learned in like sports. It's like all the things we learned as kids in sports about being a good sport. It's just gone out the window. So we got we got to get like just some humanity back here. But that's also a following Jesus. So be a good sport, right? But if your candidate lost, don't attach the name, the hallowed name of God. Don't attach it to your opinions about the election. Listen, you're an American. You can feel free to speak out. So I guess you can. But test that with Jesus first. Sure, you have the right. But test that with Jesus. Is that where he wants you to spend your influence? Putting people on a side or dividing folks? Don't attach the name of Jesus to your political cause. Um, Be careful about your words. Because we all have to remember, no matter where we voted or didn't vote, there's a lost and broken world that God loves so much that he sent his only son. They're watching us. They're watching us. We get to be his ambassadors, to share his love. And when we see that we've blown it, and I have blown it on this stuff too, we got to come to Jesus and say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you show me a better way? Will you help me to lift your name and make your name great, God? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallowed be your name, God. Okay, you can relax now. That part's done. <sighs> breathe again. Ready, everybody? Uh, just don't breathe on the person. Oh, Let me see if I can take this home here. Hallowed be your name, Father. Hallowed be your name. When I pray that, I remember that I want to reflect the greatness of God's name. And if there's something I have to repent over or turn away from, or give up because I'm really committed to my, got to decide, is Jesus Lord or is other stuff Lord? And I want our prayer to be that, God, I want to live in a way that helps other people see that your name is above every name. Hallowed be the name of Jesus in my life, in my life. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus, Jesus says it this way. He says to us, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus to his followers. Get this. People see our light shine, and Jesus says they will see that and glorify. That's another way of saying that they will hallow the name of God, glorify God's name when they see us shine our lights. And hope, I gotta tell you, this church family, 
is really good at that. Letting our light shine, the good deeds and letting our light shine. Y'all are amazing at this. I mean, I think back just at this pandemic year, um, at the good deeds and the love that was shown through our church family where we glorified the name of God, not to make us famous, but to just do what he calls us to do. We got to do all kinds of fun things. We did this great food drive for Matthew's Crossing. We really helped restock the Chandler Cares Center with a food drive over there and some other supplies. That was early in the pandemic. Um, even through the pandemic, we've had so many opportunities to try and reach out and, and get creative. We've donated craft supplies, coats, shoes to the children at the Naomi House on the Navajo Reservation. Y'all did amazing at that. What a huge blessing. That's letting God's name be made great, letting our lights shine. Um, Hope, you provided backpacks to the Casa Grande domestic violence shelter for the kids there and to some kids in our Hope family, and to some kids in some of our neighborhoods. That's a way of letting our light shine and hallowing the name of God. And while our ministry to the Memory Care Center had to be shut down in April, um, we're working on ways. Jim's working on some stuff and other folks, how we can communicate maybe through cards or letters, but that too is a beautiful way to make God's name great. Um, our ongoing ministry to San Marcos Elementary School, which is near where Heidi and I live, just down the block. It's a Title I school bordering a very difficult neighborhood. But y'all did an amazing job for the affordable Christmas. In fact, y'all gave so much that the families um, that were recommended by the school came and did their gift buying to be able to bless and dignify their own kids. Um, there was so much that we were able to partner with a church that works with the refugees who wanted to show some Hindu folks, especially, what Christmas is all about. <laughs> and so we were able to partner with them as well in this. You guys are amazing, amazing. And, and everywhere from our global missions perspective here at Hope, where we let our light shine by supporting people like the Delps and the Asazas in Colombia and Ecuador, it's amazing what God does through this little church family this work that God has been doing. And not to mention um, Brandon Hodge and his InterVarsity ministry to the Maricopa Community Colleges where he, we get to partner with him in letting the light of Jesus shine to college students um, around, around the county. That's just what we've done as a group together. There's more than that. I'm sure I've forgotten some things, but y'all, I know... <laughs> In your everyday lives, you let your light shine. You love and serve and bless people by letting your light shine and the people you interact with. You let your good deeds, your kindness, draw people to Jesus. So friends, let's continue to be ambassadors of Christ to a lost and broken world who desperately needs to hear the name of Jesus and that they would begin to believe that this God loves them and part of what draws them is the ambassadors, you and me, show them and our good deeds, our kindness, our love, demonstrate to them a way that they go, wow, there must be something to this Jesus. There must be something to him. Friends, that our very lives would proclaim, hallowed be your name, God. That is my prayer. Amen? Yeah. Worship team, will you come? Well, we've jumped into the beginning of this prayer, the who, right? The father who delights in us, the, the where, remembering God is all around us, closer than the air we breathe, and the first of the what's, 
that this whole world would come to treasure God and honor him, starting with me. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to gather together in the school of prayer, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. I'm going to ask you to commit to praying and learning more about the Lord's Prayer. Just pray it through, and we'll have some resources for you rolling out in the next few weeks. And friends, I believe that as we a church, as if we as a church will do that, um, if we're all praying like students of Jesus, who is the master of prayer, if our whole community is doing this, can you just imagine what God will do in your life? and in our world, and through our church, and our families, in our community, that his name will be hallowed. Now, I want to give us an assignment for this week, and I don't always do this, but I think it helps it be practical. This week, when you pray, hallowed be your name, God. Let's ask this. Where can I make the name of God great this week? Where can I make God's name great? And maybe it happens through someone he's going to direct you to love or serve. Maybe he's going to invite you to some humility with somebody that you've broken relationship with over disagreements, maybe politically. I know that hasn't really happened to many people, but, you know. But maybe that's how we get to hallow his name. And it will take some humility. Um, but it would glorify his name if we come to people in humility, not having to agree but keeping relationship and connection the priority. That would, that would really hallow God's name, wouldn't it? Yeah. Will you stand with me? We're gonna pray what we've been learning so far in the Lord's Prayer, and then we're gonna go into our closing song. Let's pray together. Our Father, the one who loves us, chose us, delights in us, and calls us your very own children. In heaven, the Father who is everywhere and who is closer than our very breath. Hallowed be your name. May this whole earth come to treasure, recognize, and honor your name, starting with me. We make room for your kingdom and your will. Amen.